At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, for the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall together with half the people. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests with their trumpets. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Do you realize what a big part of the Christian faith the act of celebration is? As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the history of religions around the world, all the way back to the time of the Israelites, the history of the religions in the world was primarily fear-based, worrying about the gods, trying to appease them. In the Jewish tradition, and especially in the Christian tradition, at the heart of worship is celebration, thanksgiving, and delight. Think of the Psalms. That's what we want to focus on this morning because the passage that was read speaks about that. It was about hmm, six months ago or so. We were having a staff meeting and I made a suggestion um, Not an original idea, I've never had one of those, but the suggestion was that at Christ Community Church, we do difficult things well. We tackle big subjects. We're not afraid to address things that are otherwise controversial. We don't shy away from it. We're serious about the study of the word. We're kind of serious folks. But one thing I said I don't think we do as well as we ought to is have fun and to celebrate. So I want to thank you for having fun with us and celebrating. We had food truck Tuesday, was it? There were more than 250 people who showed up to be a part of that. We had a picnic with same number, roughly, of people who showed up. We almost ran out of food, but we didn't. I think the biggest hit was the Kona ice truck, which was free, and the kids just kept going back. After that, we went to the pool. We've had a lot of celebration. We've had a lot of fun, and we've needed it. But I want to thank you for being a part of it, because if you don't show up and enjoy things, it's not fun. (laughs) So thank you. Celebration is an important part of the Christian faith. 
As a matter of fact, the description of the celebration that you just heard read this morning is preceded in chapters 8, 9, 10. It's preceded by celebration as well. Uh, You might not think of it as celebration, but if you look at it that way, you can see this trajectory. It actually began with the public reading of the law with Ezra. Then it moved to confession of sins. And now we're dedicating the wall and it's absolutely celebratory. They're having a great time. They've got a choir on the right. They got a choir on the left. And up on the wall, apparently in the middle, they have the rest of the leaders. They sing, they shout. As a matter of fact, they sing and shout so loud that people far away could hear them. Do you wonder what they were singing? I've got an idea that I think is pretty accurate. The Psalms. Because the Psalms were their song book. No doubt they were singing the Psalms. They were celebrating by the singing of Psalms. So here's what I want to say about celebration. Four things. First, celebration as rejoicing. That one's pretty obvious, right? To celebrate means to rejoice. As a matter of fact, the word that's used in the Hebrew Bible to describe the gladness of heart among these people can be translated gaiety, mirth, pleasure, delight. That's what the celebration looked like and what the celebration sounded like. What was probably said in song, among other things, was Psalm 150. Remember these words? Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, right here. Praise him in his mighty heavens, out there. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of trumpet. I love it when Daniel's up here playing. He wasn't up here this morning, but he'll be back. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Resounding cymbals must be more cymbals clashing. That's all I can figure. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And it was loud. Notice the list of instruments. You might think those instru- that instrument list is incomplete. It's just because a number of instruments weren't yet created or invented. I guarantee you that had the electric guitar been around, it would have been celebrated in Psalm 150. The guitar came to us during medieval times, by the way. It's a rather ancient instrument, just not as old as some of these. There was also in this celebration, bodily celebration. As a matter of fact, the Jewish people could not even conceive of a celebration without dance. You had to dance. I'm getting ready to go to Ghana And I cannot wait to celebrate with those people in Ghana because they know how to celebrate and dance is everywhere, everywhere. We're just flat-footed 
And sometimes we raise our hands. The Jewish people at the wall would say, what's the matter with you people? Get up and dance, right? It's celebration. This celebration was music. It was dance. And I would imagine, though I can't be sure, that they might have referred to Psalm 148 as well. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above, praise him all his angels. Praise him all his heavenly hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and the waters above the sky. Let them praise the name of the Lord for at his command they were created and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures. You ever heard the sound of a, of a huge whale? They got great recordings. According to this, they're praising God and all you ocean depths, praise him lightning and hail and snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young women, young men, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For he alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Praise him. There's a reference to stars singing in the book of Job. Don't remember if uh, you're familiar with that verse or not, but it's near the end of the book of Job in Job 38. Job has been doing what we're really good at whining to God, okay? Complaining about his circumstances, saying, woe is me. And then God thunders from heaven and says, you be quiet for a minute and let me talk. (laughs) Where were you when I? And he went through a litany of things that relate to creation. And one of those things is, where were you? When the morning stars were singing. Yeah, that's poetic language, isn't it? Metaphorical. I'm big on metaphor. But I also know something else from astronomy, which I know very little about. The stars are singing. They're they're making music. There's actually recordings of that as well. So it's not only metaphorical, it's reality. All of creation is singing God's praises, says the psalmist, from the very beginning. I'm also reminded of the words of Jesus when the disciples were coming into Jerusalem and they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Pharisees said, shut them up. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, If they're quiet, the very rocks are going to cry out. That'd be kind of scary if rocks started talking, right? So let's not let that happen. Something like that happened to Balaam when a jackass started talking. That was bad enough. But if rocks start talking, we're in bad shape. Let's praise God, he says. Don't let the rocks cry out. 
they continue to sing psalms and hymns. As a matter of fact, this theme is represented in the New Testament as well in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says to us, and of course to the Colossian Christians, I want you to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to God. Keep singing those songs, Paul says, all of them. The psalms and the songs and the hymns. I, I want to say we happen to be right next to a school here that some people know about called Jacob's School of Music. Oh, by the way, did you, did you notice at the beginning of this passage, it talked about the musicians that were called out from their own villages? They had set up their own villages and they were called out. It's kind of like the first Jacob's School of Music. They had their own village. They were all over there singing and practicing. They were called out from their own villages to celebrate in this, and they were a part of the choir, apparently. The point is, there's people here who are very gifted musicians, and some of you actually write music. Did you know that? Actually, we've sung some music that someone's written here, but the person didn't want their name attached to it. Keep writing music. Keep it up. A fresh expression of praise to God. Sing the old hymns and write new songs. It's an act of worship. You delight our hearts with that, musicians. Keep it up. Thank you, musicians, for leading us in praise. Sometimes when you sing... I actually think I'm a good singer and I know that's not true. It keeps us alive. So celebration as rejoicing, but also celebration as remembering. And here I hearken back to last week's passage in chapter nine. In chapter nine, particularly through five and six, there is this quick overview of God's blessings and why they ought to praise God. And they basically say, we ought to praise you because you made the heavens and the earth and all life is in your hands. We ought to praise you because we are absolutely dependent upon your glorious sovereignty. We have to praise you because you're overarching everything. Praise you, God Almighty. So it's remembering that God is great. And when we remember, truly remember, we've got to praise and celebrate. Even the multitudes of heaven worship you. Remembering is remembering that reality, which we'll call a current reality. But celebration as remembering is also remembering the past. And that's where they lay out this list, very abbreviated, but highlighted list of the great acts of God. Much like the song we sang, a creative songwriter uses Moses and Mary and David and recounts the wonderful blessings of God in their life and says that God is still with us today. That's what the people were doing. 
In chapter 9, verses 7 through 31, they were remembering Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and all those who came before them and the way God blessed them. So celebration is also remembering. Part of that celebration, part of that remembering is an honest appraisal of two things. One, God, you have always been faithful. And two, God, we have not. That's where the confession comes in. You gave us your laws and we wandered. You warned us against wandering away and we did it anyway. God, thank you for being faithful when we were not. We remember. Celebration as rejoicing, celebration as remembering, and celebration as renewal. So you will notice in the passage that was read this morning, or the one previously in chapter 9, there is a promised renewal of the covenant by the people who are celebrating. God, you are great. You have been faithful to us, so we promised you this. And again, the theme of No intermarriage comes up. Let me remind you as I did last week, that was not a statement about racial, interracial marriages or inter-ethnic marriages. There's nothing wrong with, we ought to celebrate those. What's going on in this passage is that they're saying in effect and said explicitly on occasion, remember Solomon who married foreign wives and they pulled his heart away from you. Remember the illustrations of those kind of often arranged marriages for the purpose of elevating the king and the way in which the king's heart was taken away from God. Basically what they're saying is we're not going to intermarry and what intermarriage means is we're not going to have a divided soul. Our hearts are going to be perfectly directed towards you. We want you to be our singular focus. That was the point of that mandate. We will also, they say, keep the Sabbath and keep the Sabbath year, which is the seventh year. Not so applicable to us today, but maybe. In the seventh year, you returned all the property that someone was trying to pay for. If there was debt, that was towards you. You released the debtor. The seventh year was a year of jubilee. It was a Sabbath rest. The first day of the week that we call Sunday, their Sabbath on Saturday was a day of rest and restoration. We will keep the Sabbath. We know it's important. Have we forgotten that one? You say, well, we, we're not under the Old Testament law. Forget it for a minute, okay? Is there an embedded principle in the Sabbath day rest that's transferable to any time and place? Absolutely. Are we keeping it? Where is your Sabbath? When is your Sabbath? I guess it's no surprise that Sunday's not mine. (laughs) 
but it could be yours. The third thing is they recommitted themselves to the tithes and the offerings at the temple. They, in effect, said, God, we know it's our responsibility to make this temple work. We know it's our responsibility to give charitably so that others can have. We know it's our responsibility to invest our tithe in your work. It's often called the first fruits of their labors. We recommit ourselves to singular devotion to you. We recommit ourselves to keeping the Sabbath. We recommit ourselves to tithing. All three of those things are an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. My heart wants to go to another direction because I think I need to be satisfied somewhere else and then I'm reminded that God is absolutely my sovereign Lord and the one who gives me everything I need. So I don't need to wander. I think I can do it all on my own. I can work seven days a week because I got to get it all done. And God says, no, you need to take a Sabbath. You need to rest and reflect. I'm sovereign. Take it off. The work will be there when you go back and you'll be restored. We say to God, are you kidding me, God? I don't have enough money to go around. How can I give charitably to the church or other causes? I can hardly pay my own bills. And God says, you give me what is rightfully mine and I will bless you. As a matter of fact, the image that is often used is I will fill your storehouses, right? Of course, it's from an agrarian society. Don't worry about your crops. If you give me the first fruits of your labors, I will take care of you. All of it's about the sovereignty of God. The the last thing I want to mention about celebration is the celebration is essential. You know, no celebration is kind of like school without recess, you know? I mean, how many of your kids would last the day if they didn't have recess? They got to have recess. Um, As a matter of fact, sometimes that's the only reason they go to schools, to have recess, according to what I hear. Uh, when you ask you what's their favorite part of the day, they say recess, right? No, we all need a recess. That's the point. It's essential. Celebration is essential. We need time to celebrate and to have fun. Whether it's singing or not, we need time to have fun. It's, um, it's simply good for you. It's good for your health. How about this proverb, Proverbs 17, 22, a cheerful heart is good medicine. A cheerful heart is good medicine. You don't have to ingest anything, just change your attitude and be cheerful. I, you know what? I, I got to tell you something. I'm working on this. Um, because I can get grumpy and not be as cheerful as I ought to be. So on one occasion, I, I will leave the person unnamed so that you won't 
make fun of her after church or go up and thank her. But I walked on the office one spring day and uh, Lynn was at the desk, so it's not Lynn. And we were looking out the window and there were some beautiful colors of spring starting to bud. And this person said, oh, see that such and such color? And I said, no, I don't. Because you see, I'm slightly colored blind. So my wife will say this to me all the time in the spring or the fall, do you see that red? And I'll say, no, I don't. If it was like a red leaf right in front of a yellow leaf, then maybe I would. But it just kind of blends into the forest sometimes. So anyway, I expressed that to this person and the person said, oh, that's so sad. Is that why you're grumpy a lot? (laughs) (laughs) And the person is still working on staff. I I did not rebuke them or fire them, okay? (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I'm just grumpy and now I got a reason for my grumpiness. I'm colorblind. So if I could just get those glasses where I could see all the colors, I'd be happy all the time. No, it's not that quick of a fix. I know that. It's my attitude. I get bogged down. I get grumpy. And I need to rejoice more. So I'm just saying I'm working on that. In the 1980s, my wife and I were uh, in California. And I was going to school again. And um, she's a saint. all the years of trucking all over the country just for me to get another degree. We were in California and we decided um, that we would attend the uh, First Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell, maybe there's a reason for it, but the First Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton is where Chuck Swindoll was the pastor. And he said one time on one occasion in a sermon, he said that he got, this was before email, he, he got a letter uh, from one of the listeners because Swindoll would broadcast the services and um, he had a lot of listeners. And one of the listeners sent in a comment and said, Dear Pastor Chuck, your preaching is okay, but I want you to never stop laughing. Now, I don't know if you know much about Chuck Swindoll, but the best picture of Chuck Swindoll is what he's laughing because he did it a lot. He was a joyful guy and he would laugh in his sermons too. If you ever listened to them on the radio, he would just burst into laughter over something that he said that he thought was funny. Well, Chuck said he took offense at that, you know, because he thought his sermons were better than his laugh, but they were saying, whatever you do, don't stop laughing. You can stop preaching if you like, but don't stop laughing. Nobody's ever said that to me, but I'm going to laugh more. Um, why, why is celebration essential? Because we need it. It's good for us, right? It's actually health to our bones. Rejoicing and celebration. There's another reason that we need celebration. This kind of celebration, especially in worship, is that it reorients our world. So I've said this so many times that you probably tire of hearing it, but when I come on Sunday morning and I sing the praises of God and I look at your faces when I'm preaching, 
my whole world comes into focus. It's been so out of focus so many times in any given week and worship just narrows it so I can focus and I'm replenished. I hope that is true of you in worship. If it's not true of you in worship, your heart is not there. But if you keep coming, your heart will be there. If it's not true of you in worship, it may be because you don't come often enough. Because it should be a weekly exercise for the people of God to be together in prayer, in song, in worship. It's here that things happen in a way they don't happen anywhere else. So celebration and worship reorients my worldview. Celebration and worship also reminds me that I'm utterly dependent upon God. How many of our songs hit that theme over and over and over again? How many of the scripture passages that we read hit that theme over and over and over again? It reminds me that I'm utterly dependent upon God. Celebration and worship also guards me against self-centeredness. Well, for a lot of reasons. One is I realize somebody that I talk to is going through some trials that are far worse than mine. Or someone that I hear prayed for. Or when I stand with the congregation, I realize that I'm being carried on by the praises of other people. I'm not trying to generate thanksgiving on my own. I'm not trying to change myself. I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about God and listening to the voice of the saints. And it moves me away from self-centeredness when I celebrate with all of you. And when I celebrate and worship, it connects me to eternal things and reminds me that my hope is in the Lord who will one day restore all things including our bodies and our minds and our earth. Everything will be restored by the power of the resurrection. I don't get that reminder on Tuesday. Not the same way I get it here on Sunday. So in conclusion, I guess I I just have a couple of thank yous back to the beginning of the sermon. Thank you for celebrating. But this time I want to say thank you for celebrating every Sunday morning. You have no idea what a blessing you are to other people, including me. Thank you for celebrating every Sunday morning. We do it really well. Second thank you is thank you for embracing our diversity. We're a diverse congregation. We have moved this year to one service. We might have to knock out the back wall, but we're going to make it work. (laughs) And we're blending all kinds of things. Styles of worship, people, intergenerational, 
And I'm excited about it. I want to thank you for embracing our diversity because we're not all the same. We're at the right, we're at the left, we're in the middle, but we're committed to Jesus Christ. Thank you for embracing the diversity of this place under the unity of Christ our Lord. You know what? I love the band. It's not an insult at them, but I can't wait till the choir gets back up here. Even Adam said, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Why? Because it's diversity. There's just nothing like a whole bunch of voices singing. And the choir does it as good as any place. And I'm looking forward to that. I, I did enjoy your solo, Brian, but I'm looking forward to the choir. Uh, I got one last thing to say, and it's um, an announcement invitation of sorts. So for some time, uh, Adam's been in conversation with some area churches, uh, the worship leaders at area churches, and we're going to do a worship celebration outside at Switchyard Park on October the 9th. Um, a variety of different churches are going to be participating. Our band will participate, Sherwood Oaks band, the list goes on. We're going to be there on October the 9th. You'll hear more about it coming up. But I just wanted to mention it because it is a community-wide celebration of the goodness of God. And I hope you'll be there because celebration is essential to our faith. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us something to celebrate. You didn't ask us to make it up on our own. You didn't ask us to whistle through the graveyard. You didn't ask us to have a positive attitude. You ask us to acknowledge your sovereign care in our life. You ask us to acknowledge the salvation that comes from you that we could never earn. You ask us to acknowledge the eternal gift and the hope of the resurrection of all things. We thank you for those things and many more. And we thank you that you've invited us to write about them, preach about them, study about them, and sing about them. May our celebration be worthy of those things. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. <laughs>